You are listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session 12. Being an instrument in God's hands means incarnating His love. Let me say it again. Being an instrument in God's hands means incarnating His love. Being an instrument in God's hands means taking time to really get to know people. Being an instrument in God's hands means taking time to really get to know people. But thirdly, being an instrument in God's hands means speaking the truth in love. What's the message? Christ works so that you will hear, see, know, and understand. Christ is the great revealer of the hearts of people. Christ is a God of revelation. It's in Christ that I get to know myself. And so as I represent Christ, I want to help you to see yourself in the mirror of God's Word. Let me say this. The word we use, two words that we use when we think of speaking the truth in love, they're biblical words, confrontation and rebuke. Now, I would like to say to you, very honestly, that confrontation and rebuke have a, have a bad name, don't they? If I would call you up on a Friday night and say, I'm going to come over tomorrow morning and rebuke you, you wouldn't be real excited. You wouldn't get off the phone and say, honey, guess what? Paul's coming over. He's going to rebuke me. I haven't re been rebuked in weeks. Rebuke, rebuke. I love rebuke. Man, you hear that word and you'd rather have a root canal without Novocaine. Or you think confrontation, you think somebody getting in your face, and you think uh, red face, bulging veins, flashing eyes, a seven-inch finger, and inflammatory words. Uh, I was given a card by somebody who knows what I do, and it was, he was a cartoonist, and the, the first card, the first page had, uh, panel had two chickens. One, the counselor sort of chicken, looking very dignified with a great big Bible. Across the room, sitting on a stool, was a counselly chicken, going, bark, 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 just losing all kinds of feathers in his distress. There were three or four panels where that poor counselly chicken was just losing all his feathers. And the counselor chicken was standing there, sitting there holding his Bible, big Bible, deadpan look. About the fifth or sixth panel, the counselor chicken gets up, takes his Bible, and he smashes the counselly chicken. In the final panel, he's holding his Bible close to his heart, and he's saying to himself, a good counselor knows how to use the Bible effectively. <laughs> Listen, confrontation is not smashing people with the Bible. It's not about your opportunity to say what you've always wanted to say to a person. Listen, there's an awful lot of biblical confrontation that's mixed with human anger. 
And if you're going to confront a person properly, you must start with confronting yourself. Here's what confrontation is. Confrontation that's, that's rooted in the gospel. It's my being used as God, by God as an instrument that helps a person to see and to know and to understand things that they just don't see, they just don't know, and they just don't understand. The last thing a person needs in moments of confrontation is your opinion. The last thing a person needs in a moment of confrontation is your opinion. What they need is God's truth. Now, confrontation is rooted in the gospel. The gospel is a comfort. Romans 8, 1 through 11 depicts that, and that's a great Bible study for you later. Paul says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says that God's Spirit has come to live inside of me. Think about that comfort. Think of the comfort to know that all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I do not have to be afraid of confessing the darkest, most horrible things because it's all been covered by Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And you can encourage people out of the hiding. What do sinners do? Sinners hide. They rationalize. They blame. They accuse. They excuse. We call people away from all of those things. To stand in the bright light of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He has carried my guilt. He has carried my shame. I can confess. Confrontation is a comfort too because Paul says that those who are in Christ Jesus are filled with the Spirit of God. Hear this truth. God knew that my need was so desperate. It was not enough to forgive me. He literally had to unzip me and get inside of me by His Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? What's that about? You know, after you confess, the thing that hits you next is, I'll never be able to do what God is calling me to do. Do you ever have that? You confess that what's wrong, you're a husband and you haven't loved your wife, and you confess that you haven't loved her, and then you hit, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church and be willing to give itself up for it. And you go. I'm here on video. These are things they never tell you to do in seminary. Uh, you just fall down. You think, like, that's going to happen. I can't, I can't even love my wife for five minutes, let alone give my life up for her. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. God literally comes and lives inside of me in His power and glory. Jesus said, I want my children to be one. John 17, verse 20, then he says, The glory that you gave me, I gave to my children so that they should be one. Brothers and sisters, the glory of God has fallen on you so you can do what he calls you to do. What a message of comfort to give to a person. A man who's never loved anybody in his life. A woman who's been eaten by envy. A person who's lived only by fear. 
A person who's lived their life as sort of a subtle cheat. They've cheated their way through life. A person who's been violent doesn't know how not to be violent. I can say, you can, you can, you can. Not because you're able, because the Spirit of God has been given to you. Wow. You see, confrontation is not just about pointing out all people's wrongs. It's helping them see the glory of God's forgiveness and the glory of God's presence. So I don't excuse and, and hide anymore. And I believe that all this, although this mountain is higher than I could ever traverse, I can do it because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives inside of me. I've been married for 31 years. I know you're looking at me and saying, this man is way too young to be married this long. <laughs> and so if you're trying to figure out my age, I was married at seven. And I, I, my wife and I, when, when we celebrate our anniversaries, we don't celebrate us. We couldn't possibly celebrate us. We know we have, we have exquisite skills at destroying marriage. <laughs> we celebrate the grandeur and the glory of the grace and presence of God. God has rescued us from ourselves. I sat with my kids this, this year and I said, I know it's neat because you're, you're in a family where your mom and dad have stayed together for 31 years and, and you ought to be proud of that, but don't applaud us. Applaud your Redeemer. Daddy's an unselfish man and mommy can be so into her own world and we can do so many things that are in the way of what God wants to do and, and God daily gives us the ability to do what he calls for us to do and this is a celebration of his. This is his anniversary, not ours. The gospel, though, is also a call. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12, there's a big important word there. It says, therefore. Let me quote it for you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Listen, the gospel do doesn't just comfort people. The gospel obligates people. Because God doesn't just call you from something, God calls you to something. What you do in the gospel is you switch masters. <laughs> you move away from the mastery of sin, but you give yourself to the mastery of your Lord and King Christ. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. It's not to the sinful nature to live according to it, because you, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Here's the obligation. God calls us to go on a search and destroy mission with regard to sin. God calls us to holiness. To be serious about our thoughts, to be serious about our motives, to be serious about our behavior. You see, brothers and sisters, that's the gospel that will change people's lives. We surprise them. We astound them with the comfort of a complete removal of condemnation and the power of God who dwells in us. But we just don't astound them with the comfort. We honestly bring to them the call and say, the God who has redeemed you is the King who owns you. And you must no longer live to yourself. 
He bought you with a price. He claims every word. He claims every thought. He claims every moment of desire. He claims every relationship. He claims every situation. Now, if you have the comfort without the call, people get lazy and lawless, don't they? God forgives. Doesn't make a difference what I do. I know I yelled at my, li- my wife last night, but God forgives. Sure, I stole a box of pencils from work, but blood of Christ was shed for those pencils. It's a horrible thing. It's in the church, though. If you get the call without the comfort, you get people who are walking around thinking, gotta be holy, 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 gotta be holy. Poor people fall into thinking that somehow they're gonna earn their way into glory and they never will do that. I need both the comfort, I need the call, I need that balance. Because that mix of the glorious comfort of the gospel and the glorious call of the gospel will produce that growing and changing life, that life that matures. Look halfway down on your page there. What's the goal of confrontation? Well, I've got two goals for you you there. One is that I would be an instrument of seeing. I've, I've talked about that many times. Listen, your goal is not to advance your opinion. Let me catch us up here. Your goal is not to uh, advance your opinion. Your goal is to be an instrument of seeing. Your goal is not to advance your opinion. Your goal is to be an instrument of seeing. Uh, Here's the question. You want to write this down. What does this person need to see that he has not now seen? And how can I help him see it? What does this person need to see that he has not now seen? And how can I help him see it? The second goal is that I would lead the person to repentance. What is repentance? Look up here for a moment. Repentance is a radical change in the heart that leads to a radical change in the direction of my life. Let me say that again. Repentance is a radical change in the heart that leads to a radical change in the direction of my life. Now let me make a distinction for you. Confession and repentance are not the same. We have made the mistake of confusing confession and repentance. What is confession? Confession is a step in repentance. And so what I do in confession is I name the sin. I own responsibility for what I've done. 
but confession must be followed by a life that now goes in another direction. The man who was not loving now looks for opportunities to love his wife. The person who was a thief now looks for opportunities to give. The angry person becomes a promoter of peace. The fearful person now lives in courage. Isn't that wonderful? You can be remarkably different. What a message to give people. You see, what I'm saying is, confrontation shouldn't be this dark, horrible, horrible moment where I'm going, you, you, you. In confrontation, I'm just comforting people with saying, God is here. God loves you. God gives you the ability to be different. Those things that scare you, you can do. Own your sin. Confess it before the Lord and turn. And by His power, you can go in another direction. Now, there are steps to this process of confrontation. First is consideration. And again, I would give you the question, what does this person need to see that he's not now seeing, and how can I help him see it? Jesus was, was so skilled at doing this. Read the Gospels. He was such a master at helping people to see. He broke through walls of spiritual blindness. He didn't do that by, by lectures. He would tell stories. He would ask questions. His goal was to get people to see. Uh, again, you're not, you're not advancing your opinion. You're not meeting out your vengeance. You're not there to judge and condemn. You're there to help this person to take the scales off the eyes of the heart so they could see themselves as they actually are. Consideration leads to confession. Here's the question. Where does this person need to own responsibility and admit their wrongs before God and people? Where does this person need to own Uh, their responsibility and admit, confess wrong before God and people. Brothers and sisters, don't assume confession. Call people to moments of confession. As a person says, yes, I think that's what I've done, say, let's pray. Speak that to the Lord. Say, God, I've sinned against you in this way. I've taken vengeance in my hands. I've been a bitter man. And I need your forgiveness. And then ask the question, who has been offended by that sin that you need to go to and you need to ask, you need to confess that sin and ask for their forgiveness? Don't assume confession. Ask. That leads to the third step, commitment. If I've seen the wrong, if I've confessed it to God and the appropriate people, then the next step is to say, 
What is God calling me to? Here's the question. Where specifically is God calling this person to a radically new way of living? That's the commitment question. Where is God calling this person to a radically new way of living? Oh, I love to say this. This is so exciting to me. As believers in the Word of God, we do not just believe in life after death. We believe in life before death. Isn't that wonderful? We believe in radical change. People come to me and they say, uh, what's the hope for so-and-so? I say, is he still breathing? Is God still God? There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Where is God calling this person to a radical new way of living? And then finally, where do those new commitments need to result in specific change in this person's daily life? Let me say it again. Where do these new commitments need to result in specific changes in this person's daily life. You see, change has not taken place till change has taken place. Now notice the process. First consideration, what does this person need to see that they're not now seeing? Confession, where does this person need to own responsibility and Admit and confess their wrongs to God and the appropriate people. Commitment. Where is God calling this person to a radical new way of living? And then where do those commitments need to result in specific changes in this person's daily life? That is a biblical definition of repentance. God calls me to put certain things off. God calls me to put certain things on. Notice, consideration and confession draw a heart there. Those are changes in the heart. Next to commitment and change, if you're a good artist, draw a little pair of hands. Change in the heart leads to changes in the hands. That's repentance. Because my heart has changed, I begin to live in a whole new way. Now, how do you confront people? Well, I would encourage you, you start with interaction. It's not best to start with reading people the riot act. You know, you type six pages of charges. Now, when you have a conversation like that, you walk away saying, well, that was helpful. <laughs> you feel bruised and overwhelmed. Think of this example. It's a wonderful example in 2 Samuel when Nathan is called to confront David. Nathan doesn't burst into the throne room and say, you're a murderer and an adulterer and it's over. Maybe he didn't do that because there was a tradition of throwing spears in the throne room. Um, no, what, what Nathan does is very interesting. He stands alongside of David. Now, now get this model. 
and he tells David a story. What's the purpose of the story? The purpose of the story is to engage David's heart. Where did he get the story from? You can talk. David's life. You see, if you know somebody, you've gotten to know them in good data gathering, you know the illustrations you can use that God can use in their lives. When, Dave, when Nathan gets done with the story, who talks first? Very interesting. David does. And David says, this man should die. Wow. Know what Nathan says? Good Philadelphia street lingo. You demand. <laughs> that is a wonderful model of biblical confrontation. Listen, as David is listening to the story, he's not paying attention to Nathan's flashing eyes or his big finger or his inflammatory words. His heart is engaged, but as his heart is engaged, his eyes are beginning to see. And boy, you read Psalm 51, and you see the remorse that comes out of David. He says, I acknowledge my sin. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only, God, have I done this thing. And he prays for God to forgive him and to purify him. What you do is you reserve, you reserve declaration, pronouncement for people who are unwilling to be part of the interaction. You see, you always start conversationally. You always start in a relaxed format helping people, asking questions, telling stories, helping a person to see. There are people who are angry and rebellious and will not be part of that interaction. And there's a right time to say, thus says the Lord, and wait for a response. Let me end this session this way. I think this is a sad, sad thing, but I think it's true. One of the first things that dies in the casual fellowship of the body of Christ is the truth. Brothers and sisters, we need the truth spoken to us. Hebrews 3 that we looked at earlier says that we need that truth every day, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God can use you to open the eyes of people who have long been blind. God can use you to be an agent of repentance where a life that's going this way turns and goes in another direction. Bring to people the comfort of the gospel. Bring to people the call of the gospel. Encourage people to consider. Encourage people to confess. Encourage people to commit. Encourage people to walk God's way of change and watch lives change. I've had, I have sat with married people who could barely say a civil word to one another and watch God begin to change those lives and watch love be reborn. Uh, and a couple like that who just, their story was just so sad. And I watched God change that, that family. Young couple that was headed for disaster. I was at a wedding reception and didn't even know they were there and they found me to show me two new children, arm in arm. 
And both of them, the minute they saw me, they got teary-eyed, held one another and said, it's hard for us to imagine that that couple back there was us. Consideration, confession, commitment, and change. That's not Paul changing anybody. That's God changing people as, as you and I seek to be instruments of change, to speak the truth in love. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. A CDR Communications Production.